Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sports by the Hour podcast. This is Ethan Schapp and Matthew Schwab. So, something that I wanted to talk about related to the Buccaneers and Panthers game. Uh, Ethan's going to talk more in depth about the game later on, but uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about in depth was Christian McCaffrey and how well he's been playing. I've loved Christian McCaffrey since college. I always thought that for someone his height, he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, which is running up the middle, running people over. But he is a he's a physical running back. He's probably the most physical back in the NFL right now. Uh, you see him play. You watch him play. He doesn't shy back from hits. He'll take he'll take guys like Khalil Mack head on without a worry in the world. And I love that about him. He is currently third in the MVP voting right now. Um, and obviously, I think that he'll go up with the recent injury to Patrick Mahomes, which we will also talk about later. But um, I think Christian McCaffrey is probably going to finish either second or third uh, in MVP voting if he doesn't win, which with the way that Mahomes and Russell Wilson have been playing, I don't see as a possibility. Obviously, I would love him. I would love for him to win because you normally don't see a running back win MVP. Uh, majority of the time, it's been a quarterback since 2000. Only five or six, I believe, running backs have won the MVP. Uh, three, well, two of those belonging to Marshall Falk. Uh, then you have Ladanian Tomlinson, Adrian Peterson. So it would be great to see Christian McCaffrey win the MVP, but unless if he gets a 1,000-1,000 season, which he is on pace to do, and then some, I don't see him winning the MVP, but I do like the way that he's been playing. Now, uh, a more in-depth look at the Buccaneers and Panthers game in London. Uh, this game, I thought would be a lot more clean game. Uh, there was a lot of turnovers. The Buccaneers had seven turnovers, and James Winston threw for five interceptions, which just highlights how me and Schwab, uh, time and time again, have said that he's inconsistent and you can't trust him moving forward as a franchise quarterback. Um, now, the real quarterback conversation I want to talk about is actually the quarterback conversation in Carolina. Uh, Cam Newton started the year. Uh, he went 0-2 with a completion percentage of 56.2, and he threw zero touchdowns and one interception in his two games this season. And backup Kyle Allen has come in. Uh, his completion percentage is 65.6, 10% better than Cam. He has thrown seven touchdowns and zero interceptions. His passer rating is 106.6 compared to Cam's 7.1 or 71, and he has just won them games. He took the Panthers from being 0-2 to looking like they were going to be a bottom tier team to now they're 4-2, um, respectable in their division. Uh, the Bucks and the Falcons have looked pretty rough, but they're right up there with the Saints, which I think a good amount of people expect them to be. And uh, just moving forward, I think the best thing that they can do is let Cam sit on the bench. And not even think about starting him until he's 100% fully healthy, ready to go. And then when that day happens, depending on how the next two, three, four weeks go for Kyle Allen, if he's still showing these elite numbers, which I don't know, and I really don't think he can hold as a first-year starter, then you make the decision if we're going to let Cam come back in or not. I definitely don't think you trade him this year before the trade deadline because we've only seen Kyle Allen against four teams.
Much like Ethan said, uh, I don't think that Kyle Allen can hold up this performance uh, forever as a first-year starter. But at the same time, uh, I think that this year has been very generous to those first-year starters. Obviously, we're seeing a similar situation going on with Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Uh, that has a lot to do with the entirety of the NFL. This is this has been a uh, a very quarterback-friendly league for the past couple of seasons with the addition of rules that protect the quarterback, uh, obviously with the late hits and the roughing the passer calls, uh, and probably the biggest one, the low hit, that is just honestly a little bit redundant to me. Uh, I think it shouldn't be a penalty, but that's besides the point. This is a quarterback-friendly league, so it's really it's really possible and in the realm of any possibility for any quarterback to do well in this league. Um, even some of the worst guys can have good games because of how quarterback-friendly the NFL has turned into. So if anything, Kyle Allen keeps up this performance at a slightly lower level, but he's still a solid. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs got back Tyreek Hill for this game. He got two touchdown passes uh, for 80 yards and on 50 catches. But the main takeaway for this was uh, Mahomes was limited. Uh, he was clearly struggling with a uh, ankle injury. And it hurts the team mostly because it limits his mobility and his, and his ability to get out of the pocket. And that's where Mahomes makes his great plays, where he's able to scramble outside the pocket and buy himself time, and then he makes a big play downfield. And with his ankle injury, the last two weeks against the Colts and the Texans, which they've lost by one possession, and if he didn't have this ankle injury, I think they could have easily won. He hasn't been able to do that to the best of his ability. Now for the Texans, Deshaun Watson continues to get the job done offensively, and he's been super impressive. He had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, to me, though, he has to be careful. He's taking an alarming amount of hits from uh, poor protection from his O-line and from his scrambling. It constantly reminds me of Cam Newton, and I'm terrified to see that we're – I'm terrified that he'll have the same future as we've seen unfold with Cam Newton. Much like Ethan said, I am worried about Deshaun Watson's health. I'll talk about Pat Mahomes in just a second, but Deshaun Watson, yes, he reminds me a lot of Cam Newton. Um, and it would be a shame to see two, what I would call, uh, well, I wouldn't really call Deshaun Watson a generational talent yet. Uh, obviously Cam Newton is a freak of nature. Uh, everything Cam did, uh, in the beginning of his NFL career was, was literally superhuman. Um, and it was a shame to see Cam go down like that. And I really hope the same thing doesn't happen to Deshaun Watson, but, with the amount of hits that he is taking, I I think it's very much possible that it does. Uh, obviously, it may not happen this year, but it'll happen eventually. Uh, for the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill picked up right where he left off, and that is getting behind the defense and getting the ball deep downfield. Um, Pat Mahomes, despite being injured, he still gets the job done better than any other quarterback in the NFL. And that is that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen any football player do, regardless of position. Yes, Adrian Peterson came back from a torn ACL and MCL, but 
he wasn't getting the ball on every play. Uh, Pat Mahomes gets the ball on every play, and every play he makes something happen. His awareness in the pocket is the best I've ever seen in a quarterback, besides maybe a guy like Michael Vick or Randall Cunningham. Um, but everything that he does, when he has the football in his hands, anything can happen, and that's what makes him so special. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Cleveland Browns and the Seattle Seahawks game. Um, this game came down to the very end, and Seattle was able to win. Uh, Seattle, to me, uh, they are 5-1, and one, but I don't really, and I picked them to win their division, but I don't really love what I'm seeing. Uh, they've won four out of their five games by uh, one possession, and um, they're expecting Russell Wilson to play perfect every single week, and it's just not a realistic goal to have. You can't expect your quarterback to play perfect every single week. Their defense is struggling. Their offense is doing well, but it's solely based on Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's performance. Uh, much like Ethan said, I think that the Seahawks' offense uh, is obviously their strong point. But at the same time, you can't rely on Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Chris Carson the entire season. Obviously, you have to step up on defense, which is something that Seattle is known for doing. Uh, for the deck for the pre for the past decade, they've been known for having one of the top defenses in the NFL. But this year, it's it's all looked slow. Uh, Bobby Wagner is really their only strong point on defense at this point. Cam Chancellor's retired. Earl Thomas is now in Baltimore. Uh, Richard Sherman is now in San Francisco. Everything kind of everything kind of fell apart on that Seattle defense, which is really beginning to show this year. And I was I was really high on Seattle uh, at the beginning of the season, but watching their defense play, once they go up against some of those top offenses, once they go up against those Chiefs. Um, and those Texans and those Ravens, it's going to be interesting to see how that defense holds up because if Russell Wilson doesn't have a perfect game, which don't get me wrong, he's been playing amazing. That's not a, that's not a winning formula. Um, but then cycling into the Browns, there are a lot of things wrong in Cleveland. Um, I, I I'd like to say this: the one bright spot for me, even though I well. This is more of a pity statement. I feel bad for Freddie Kitchens. I love him as a head coach. He's one of the best play callers in the NFL. Um, he he is he really is one of the top coaches in the NFL. And even though his record doesn't show it, he does a very good job calling offensive plays. The issue is that his offensive line was traded away at the end of last season. Um, to free up space for Odell Beckham and for all their new signings. Um, other than that, it's basically been their offensive line, and that leads to Baker Mayfield not playing well. Everything's been kind of a cycle in Cleveland. Yeah, Cleveland has uh, been a mess this year, especially coming off of uh, the high expectations that were given to them on the, in this offseason. And to me, I have a breakdown of the Browns' struggle. The struggles this year. Uh, the first, I think it's overall management and decisions to trade uh, to trade Kevin Zeitler to the uh, Giants for Olivier Vernon to clear up cap space to then eventually trade for Odell. Um, he was a big part of their O line, and then that leads me to the second reason why their team is doing so well. Uh, too bad. Uh, the team is doing so bad is the O line. 
Baker is getting pressured nonstop. The man's like seeing ghosts, seeing ghosts on the field. He's not playing well. He's rushed, and he it's shown in his play. Third, uh, I think Freddie Kitchens, like Schwab was saying, is a great play caller, and I think he's an amazing offensive coordinator. However, he has not shown that he can handle the pressure of being a head coach. I don't think he really knows much to anything about defense, and it's shown that it's affected his play calling and the team's overall performance. Fourth, uh, Baker, he uh, he's led the league in interceptions and his red zone play. Yes, there has been tip balls, but his red zone play overall has just been very poor. And fifth, I have egos. They have a lot of egos on this team. They haven't really broken any huge headlines, but you have Odell, you have Baker, you have Landry. There's a lot of very, very um, passionate guys, and their record is obviously not going well, and it can all go downhill very fast. So that's why I think the Browns are struggling so bad this season. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Washington Redskins at the Miami Dolphins. Um, the main thing I want to talk about in this game was, uh, I highlighted it before, was uh, Terry McLaurin. I wanted to see if he was going to have another uh, big game in his young career and take the next step. He had four catches for 100 yards with two touchdowns, and I was just really impressed by his performance. That's an average of 25 yards a catch, and he was really the only bright spot I could find in the Redskins offense, except the ageist wonder, Adrian Peterson, who uh, ran the ball 23 times and had 118 yards. Um, I'm glad to see that they're giving him a chance with this depleted team, um, no guys, and really at this point, there's no nothing to lose by playing Adrian Peterson. We all just get to see what he still has. So those are my two takeaways from this game. Much like Ethan said, uh, Adrian Peterson, for his age to be doing what he's doing now, I'd I love to see it. Uh, I think he's one of the best running backs we've ever seen. Definitely in my top seven. Um, I, I love watching him play, and I love seeing him have games like this where he he shows those flashes of old Adrian Peterson that we all came to love. Um, the Dolphins, Dolphins, the Dolphins. Where do I begin with the Dolphins? I think it's official. Because on that last play of the game, you could tell that they weren't going for two. They were going for Tua. They were tanking the entire time. And I know Ethan talked about um, bright spots on the Redskins offense, but they struggled against a team that is clearly tanking. They struggled against clearly the worst team in the NFL, and that is without question. Um I don't know. I obviously the Redskins don't have many bright spots. Um, I just think that both of these teams need to kind of cut their losses, give some uh, second team members some some starts, some playing time, see what they can do, see if anything can you know come out of it, uh, see if they can possibly find a new star that they missed. Um, but this was just a this was just kind of like a non-watch game between two teams that are tanking and frankly they're going to be tanking for a while because there's really no weapons on either team the next thing we're going to talk about is the arizona cardinals and the atlanta falcons uh this game was a absolute shootout with the final score being cardinals 34 and the falcons 33 uh there was no defense played in this game whatsoever 
Uh, the Falcons offense, which I have talked about week after week, finally broke out, but it wasn't good enough to get past Kyler Murray. Matt Ryan completed 30 out of his 36 passes for 356 yards and threw four touchdowns with zero, zero interceptions. But Kyler Murray, he completed 27 out of his 37 attempts for 340 yards with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And his ability to be a dual threat, both passing and running the ball, really elevated this game. And was he was able to get it done in the fourth quarter and uh, get them the win. Much like I talked about in one of our early episodes of the podcast, the key to Kyler Murray being successful and the key to any player being successful is consistency. And the games where Kyler Murray has played great, he has played fantastic. He's been lights out in those good games. And this is back-to-back weeks where we've seen Kyler Murray step up and really make things happen. And that's something that, again, I, I hope to see him continue in the future. Um, obviously, I I honestly feel bad for the Falcons' offense at this point. Not, not just Matt Ryan, um, but Julio Jones, Devonta Freeman. I feel bad for all of those guys. Um, if you're if you're out there throwing four touchdowns in a game and your team still loses, that's on your defense. That's all on your defense. And if the Falcons would have won, same thing would have gone for the Cardinals. That's on their defense. And frankly, uh, it's on both defenses for allowing that type of scoreline to occur. Um, but when you break it down, this was an offensive battle. Uh, two dominant offenses uh, or future dominant offenses. Um, it, it just came down to the wire and defense played no role in it. It was which offense would crack first and it ended up being the Falcons. The next game we're going to talk about is the Minnesota Vikings and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, this game was a shocker to me. It's the first time since Cousins arrived in Minnesota that he actually has done something. He completed 22 out of his 29 passes for 333 yards with four touchdowns and one interception. And it's interesting that Stephon Diggs, who has been some, there's been some talks that he has been unhappy with his role in this offense, and there's been some speculations that he is going to get traded. He had one of the best games of his career, having seven receptions for 167 yards and three touchdowns. So Cousins had an amazing game. Stephon Diggs had an amazing game, and they uh, easily were able to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles, to me, continue to look shaky in a very underwhelming NFC East. From what I saw this game and from all the rumors that have been going around, it kind of felt like this game was made specifically to keep Stephon Diggs even slightly happy in Minnesota. Uh, He hasn't seen that many targets all year, so... It's kind of coincidental that once talks of him being unhappy in Minnesota show up, he's the most targeted player on the team, which is obviously kind of strange. But uh, if that's the case, then that's a great move by Minnesota because uh, Stefan Diggs is, is a fantastic football player. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit, and he definitely deserves way more than what he does get um, because if you watch him play – he is a fantastic route runner. He's probably in the top five route runners in the NFL. Um, obviously, you got guys like Julian Edelman up there. Um, he's also got some of the best hands in the league. Doesn't drop many passes. Obviously, if he's double, triple covered, then yes, he's going to drop the ball. But 
most people do, unless if you're DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones. Um, but I like Stefan Diggs, and while I like him in Minnesota, I would love to see him somewhere else because Minnesota has the same issue that Cleveland has. They have too many weapons, and Minnesota's going to fall apart the same way Cleveland's going to fall apart. One person's going to get unhappy because they believe that they should get targeted more. Uh, right now, it's Stefan Diggs, and in Cleveland, it's most likely going to be Odell Beckham Jr. But Stefan Diggs, I think that he deserves a much bigger contract uh, elsewhere in the league. Um, I think that he is one of the top receivers in the game and honestly has been very underutilized this year, even though his main purpose has actually served a big one. He's kind of playing the same role that Odell plays, which is drawing in double and triple coverage, which opens up space for other receivers, which opens up more passing lanes and big play opportunities. So the next game that we will be talking about, and this one goes out to one of the other members of the podcast who's not here right now, Evan, um, the Cowboys and the Jets. Where do I begin with the Cowboys? <sighs> Amari Cooper injured. Dak Prescott showed that he has flaws. Actually, this entire team shows that it has flaws. They got beaten by a winless team, and coming into this season, the Dallas Cowboys are were Super Bowl favorites. They've now lost three straight. Stats don't tell this game. This game has one stat to it, and it's that the Cowboys have lost three straight. The Jets could have been the Jets could have been like a like a 500 team. The fact that they're winless makes it slightly worse, but I'm not really going to give the Cowboys any fault for that. The fact that the Cowboys have lost three straight. Dak Prescott is showing flaws. The offensive line is battered. Most of their guys are injured. And yes, I am going to give Dak and Ezekiel Elliott some leeway for that. Amari Cooper's injured, and that's going to affect them massively. Ezekiel Elliott's really, even though he's been underperforming himself, has been the bright spot for the past couple weeks. And even then, he's still not playing like Ezekiel Elliott. This Cowboys team is human. Coming into the season, everybody thought the Cowboys, the Browns, those teams are the guys to beat outside of obviously the chiefs and same with the Rams. They're, they're also showing their flaws. Um, this Cowboys team is not nearly as strong as people think they are. Uh, their defense, their defense is Leighton Van Der Esch and that's it. There's really nobody else in that defense that is of notable name. I mean, Toby Heath has been playing pretty well this season, but he's not going to make the Pro Bowl. But this Cowboys team needs to stop slacking. You can see it. Their offenses look slow. Their defense right now is their strong point. That was not the case coming into this season. This team coming into the 2019 season was built as an offensive juggernaut. That is what they were supposed to be. And so far in the past three games, that is the exact opposite of what they've been. 
Um, to me, this game, Cowboys and the Jets, uh, it was clearly a dis- disappointing showing from the Cowboys. Uh, I do give them some leeway. Both of their starting tackles were out, Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith, which caused an effect in the running game and obviously the passing game, which showed why the Cowboys struggled on offense so much. So, and now they also have lost Amari Cooper, who's the number one receiver. So, it's obviously alarming to see a team win the first three and then lose the first, the next three. But I'm going to give them some leeway since their O-line is what makes this team and two of their starting O-linemen were out. Um, for the Jets, uh, Sam Darnold came back from Mono and had the best game of his career. So, apparently he needs to get Mono more because <laughs> cause the Jets need him to be playing like that. In, in order for them, not really this season, but moving forward to uh, be a good team.